Hello, everyone. Welcome to Deliberate Connections, the podcast all about deliberately connecting and the impact it has on our world. I am your host, Christiana Frank, a consultant in education, corporations, and mental health. Hello, everybody, and this is Christiana Frank with the Deliberate Connections, and I am extremely proud today to introduce a guest that I met a few years back at a conference, Drew Tarvin. Drew Tarvin is a humor engineer, a speaker, an author, and a thought leader, which that is a mouthful. Welcome, Drew. How are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, I finally um, got some Christmas decorations up yesterday and, and baked, a, baked a little plate of cookies, so I'm feeling kind of festive. How about you with the holidays? Uh, I'm doing well, yeah. Excited to see family, some socially distanced, some virtually. Uh, and I'm I'm one of those people that get excited about the new year in terms of what the new year can bring and new projects, new focuses, new uh, you know deliveries and and ideas. So uh, like you said, a, a thought leader. I, I don't necessarily think of myself so much as a thought leader, so much as an idea haver. Um, so that that additional context. But no, I'm excited for what uh, what 2021 can bring and and how we all might adapt to it. Oh, I like it. You know, I like it because, you know, there's a couple of different ways. And then just for just for the record, you know, for years from now, this is December 14th, 2020, and we're in the middle of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic where we have kind of been, you know, locked in our homes, to say the least, and, and finding the unique opportunity, if I should state it that way, to connect on technology, which... Um, you 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 just changed the wording on me a little bit. So can you tell me again? So it's not a thought maker, but an idea haver. And I mean, I I simply love your wording because right now in this day and age, I mean, you need to start having some ideas to to keep things going, especially with what we're facing. You have to be a little bit, well, actually, a whole lot outside the box right now. Um, but if I was to start at the beginning a bit, because my, my biggest question mm-hmm. with deliberate connections is about the passion piece, you know, mm-hmm. what is, you know, everybody, and I'll, I'll have you answer that because I mean, maybe you're not passionate about your work, but I have a sneaky suspicion you are, you know, what is your passion in your work and what compelled you to start what you do? Certainly. Well, yeah. So my my work is certainly my passion. I'm very fortunate that those two intersect uh, deeply. And uh, my passion is really at the biggest perspective is about helping people be better, uh, be more effective, starting kind of mostly within the workplace, but also in their personal lives as well. And so that's where the made up job title of humor engineer comes from is, you know, my background is in computer science and engineering. And uh, I realized after I graduated and was working at Procter & Gamble that I was solving problems using computers as a computer science engineer, right? With technology, programming, project management, et cetera. And as I started to explore this intersection of humor in the workplace and improv in business, I realized what I was doing was I was still solving problems, workplace challenges, specifically around you know employee engagement, workplace satisfaction, stress management, et cetera. I was just using humor and improvisation as that how. And so that's where you know 
the uh, the humor engineer kind of moniker came about. And that that is what I'm passionate about is introducing people to this very powerful, very relevant skill of humor that can help in a lot of different contexts of teaching people, one, that it is a valuable skill to learn and two, how to actually employ that skill. Goodness. So as a humor engineer, you know, I, I think of all the different jobs I've had where it's just been so serious, you know, it's so serious. And I, I can even see a visualization of me kind of having my head in my hands and grabbing at my hair and it gets really stressful. And so it sounds like you have been in these corporate environments where there, there probably is undoubtedly a lot of stress and a lot of, you know, they're looking for that performance outcome. And, and can you give an example of, of maybe a situation where you've been in that environment and, and you've put in a little tool that has helped kind of change that climate? Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, for my in my own work, when I was still at Procter & Gamble, I uh, remember this feeling of burnout, right? A couple of years into my career that it was like, you know, I'm working, uh, Quite a quite a number of hours and spending a lot of time in these very serious meetings and kind of feeling disheartened by it, feeling like you know maybe I'm not in the right career, maybe I'm in the wrong role, maybe you know is the rest of my life boring meetings and long meetings and over an abundance of emails and all that. And I decided to just start adding humor into my own work, really just for myself as a way to make my own work more fun. And what I noticed almost by accident was that as I added more humor into my own work, people started to engage with it more. If I added humor to my emails, they were more likely to respond to them. If I added a little bit of fun to my meetings, they were more likely to come. If I you know, taught improv exercises to my team members, they were more likely to practice that yes and mentality and for our communication to be more effective, for people to more to listen more, all of those things. And so I realized it was helping you know, me and in my specific role and thought like, oh, why don't people, more people know about this, right? If, if humor is so valuable, which we have a lot of research that suggests that it is, why don't people use this skill and, and discover that a lot of people don't know that it's valuable. A lot of people are worried about what their coworkers are going to think. A lot of people are like, I just don't know how to do it appropriately in the workplace. They're worried about, you know, saying something inappropriate or wrong. And so it's like, oh, well, maybe Maybe I can be that person that teaches other people how to, to use it, just like I learned. Yeah, because it could get a little bit dicey. Well, any type of communication can get dicey, right? With people's different mm -hmm. perceptions on what is funny and what isn't funny. And um, But I have to tell you, especially now, but every day, I mean, laughing and generating that joy is that powerhouse that, you know, and if people aren't recognizing it, I think on a conscious level, subconsciously, that's what gets you going in an environment or feels like you're, you belong, right? So you're creating those teams. I mean, you've done some pretty incredible things. I mean, speaking, um, I don't have the count, but it just looks like hundreds and hundreds of companies. You've traveled all over the world. You're an author of three books and um, you definitely use applied improvisation in your methods because I've, I met you at a conference. Um, so, your audience, so what is the typical call that you get from maybe a client? They're going, you know, hey, Drew, this is going mm -hmm. on at my place. I need you to fix this, basically. What do those calls look like or sound like, rather? 
Well, as of right now, they are, you know, as you as you mentioned, we're in the, the midst of this uh, pandemic that has gone on way longer than I think a lot of of people initially thought that it they, that it might, and so a lot of the conversations are looking at like, listen, we you know we're in a tough environment. Stress is very high for some companies. It's that they're actually working more than they ever have before. People are working longer hours because they no longer have a commute, or because demand is higher for whatever reason, or stress is higher because there's uncertainty of what's to come. But like everyone is dealing with an increased amount of stress and a decreased number of ways that they can relieve that stress. Because if you think about the normal ways that people would, you know, uh, have this cathartic release of stress, it would be they would go to a sporting event, or they would go out to a bar, or they would go to a gym. And these are all things that are either closed down or a lot more stressful experiences to take place of hanging out with their friends, etc. And people are recognizing that in a virtual environment, you miss the hallway conversations, you no longer have the small talk in the elevator or the water cooler chat that you're sharing or the smiles, even just the smiling faces that you would see walking in in the day. And so people are kind of recognizing like, hey, we are just, we're very, very serious. We need something that can be uplifting, but also we want something on on how to manage it. We want to be a little bit more proactive about this as opposed to just reacting to the things that are happening around us. And so most most conversations are the same. Like I was, I was looking at YouTube videos online. I came across your TEDx talk. It actually made me laugh out loud. And so I thought I'd reach out. Um, that or like, hey, we had you come in and speak a couple of years ago. So we, we thought we would want to uh, you know bring you in. But it's mostly right now around that idea of managing stress and uh, finding ways to still be effective in this remote environment. You know, and the first, the word that's coming to mind, I, I jotted it down right in the beginning of the podcast, and I've been circling it while you're talking blindly with my right hand so I don't forget, is, is the word connected and disconnected. You know, that's been mm-hmm. a, a, a huge word in my heart through all of this because, you know, being someone that's used to working in large groups of people, myself and, and you mm-hmm. too, there was that disconnect um, that you're feeling um, and being yeah. able to create these tools to keep us connected virtually or on the phone or through podcasts um, are extremely important right now for mental health and, mm-hmm. um, you know, being effective in the workplace. So I just think what you're doing is amazing. Um, there, there has to be though, you know, you didn't just open the door one day, right. And have all these people lined up, you know, chanting Drew, mm-hmm. Drew, Drew. So that would be great. <laughs> would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it would. Um, so Clearly, like the rest of the world and all human beings, you have faced some hurdles with what you do in your work. And yeah. what are maybe what is one or two of those hurdles that you faced? And and even maybe it could be a myth that's in your field. I mean, you know, being mm-hmm. the funny guy. Wait, so what the first thing somebody might think is, oh, funny. So he doesn't have a nut in his head or, or whatever that assumption is. Right. So what are some of those myths or hurdles that you've had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges with a topic like humor in the workplace is people think of it as a nice to have. Most people are like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess if we laughed a little bit more at work, that would be great. But if not, oh, well, right? It's not something that they actively seek, like leadership training or communication training or productivity training. And and so that was one of the first hurdles coming out was, you know, I remember even in a, a workshop pretty early on that it was super fun. We used a lot of applied improv. It was on innovation. And I thought it was like fantastic. 
people were laughing the whole time. And then some of the feedback that we got was they're like, this was a lot of fun, but I don't see how it's going to help me do my job better. And, and so I didn't do a good enough job of connecting the fun to the like purpose. And that's been one of those ongoing challenges is people don't care about humor in the workplace, right? They care about the other results that they get. So I have to make sure that I'm speaking the language of my customers and my clients to say, hey, you know that challenge you're facing of employee engagement, of stress management, of uh, you know trying to communicate effectively in a virtual environment or building rapport as a sales team when you can't go on those client calls. Like these challenges that you're facing, humor can be part of the solution. And so speaking the, the customer's language was a big thing that I had to, to learn, which certainly took time. It's something that I'm still refining. And I think that you know one of the other lessons that I've learned that helps even with that idea, and this comes from the world of improvisation to me, is that uh, you know failure is just data. And so if I'm trying something for the first time and it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that it's never going to work out. It just means that it's data. So me failing in that workshop of people saying, hey, I, this was fun, but I don't see how it's going to help me do my job, doesn't mean that I'm terrible, that I can never have a career, but rather, okay, that is data, that's information. How can I learn from that? How can I adjust and improve going forward. And that's what I've tried to do my entire career with this business is like, okay, based on what I'm getting and what feedback I'm hearing, how do I improve? How can my next workshop be the best one that I've delivered so far? And that's where I get so excited about that neuroplasticity. Yes, <laughs> we can keep learning from that. Drew, um, you know, I have to thank you so much for being on here. And I really want people to be able to find you. And, and I'm talking, for those listening, it's not just to find him um, if you're looking to hire him, though that is a great place to go. But it's looking to find him if you're looking for resources and to educate yourself on this theory that he has. I've heard him speak. I'm, I'm hearing him speak again right now. But he is so, a, he's such a thoughtful, compassionate, and an authentic person when you're talking about your craft. So could you tell the listeners, you know, how can they find you as far as to get, you know, as a client, but also as someone who's just interested in learning more about being humorous in the workplace? Absolutely. So if they are curious about kind of humor in the workplace and the work that we do, you can go to humorthatworks.com. And we've got a bunch of free resources, just like you alluded to, a ton of free resources on there in terms of blog posts about a bunch of different ideas, information about our book that came out last year, which is a deeper dive into humor in the workplace, information about our workshops and our coaching is kind of all there. Um, so certainly you can connect that way. I am incredibly passionate, love talking about this. So if people want to connect with me directly, uh, I am uh, at Drew Parvin, so D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor, I-N, on all social media. And so people can always like, you know, connect with me there, send a message, that kind of thing, because I'm certainly passionate about this. And that's also, social media is also where I tweet out puns and wordplay. So if people are like, I just want jokes and some humor, you know, follow me on Twitter or Facebook like my grandmother does and uh, enjoy enjoy the humor. Oh my gosh, Drew Tarvin, thank you so much. Everyone out there, keep laughing and deliberately connecting and have a great day. Thanks again, Drew. Absolutely, thank you.